Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now listen, they want me to say hello. Welcome to the James Well best bits of tonight's show. Wish you can hear every night Monday to Friday on Talk Radio from 7 till 10. But I said, wouldn't it be best to call it the worst of whale? So have a listen. See what you think. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. So let's talk now to uh, Minnie Raman, and uh, she's the campaign's manager at the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. Uh, Minnie Raman, good evening. Welcome. Hi, James. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, very good today, actually. Uh, really welcome news from the government that they're going to be scrapping the surcharge for NHS workers and for care workers. Yep, um, I think it's a really welcome first step from the government, even though it's taken them an extremely long time to get here. Um, well, listen, if there's anything else I can do for you, um, you just have to tell me and I will uh, we'll discuss it. And obviously it'll be sorted out for you as well. So it should be for all workers, little... though, shouldn't it? For all like bus drive, all workers that come from abroad. Well, well, some, it, it rather depends. And I'm sure that'll be looked into. But if, you, if you've got a, a job in this country and you're paying tax in this country and you've made your home in this country, um, I don't know why you should have to pay. But there I we are. I mean, some... Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's really clear that no one should be essentially fine just because they don't have British citizenship or because they weren't born here. You know, what we've been doing up until now is asking people from abroad to actually pay more than a British national just to access the same public service that they're already paying for through tax. And, and we haven't seen the detail of the policy from the government yet, but I think they really have to think about extending this to all essential workers and to their family members. You know, it simply isn't enough that they will be exempt, but they'll still have to pay for their families too. And, you know, there are also people who are born in the UK whose family members are working for the NHS who still have to pay the surcharge. So there's a lot more work from the government needed. And, and as I said before, it's taken them a really long time to get here. This is something we, we've been warning them about for years. We also warned them right at the beginning when the pandemic broke out that this was something that they'd need to look mm. at. And it's taken this long for them to do so. The, the only thing worries me, and uh, tell me whether I'm wrong or right on this, is that all these people, the tragedies we're seeing in the channel every single day, and we're going to talk about this a little later, um, is caused because a lot of people think that they get over here and life is going to be good and they're going to get food and accommodation and everything will be lovely, and maybe we're sending out the wrong signals in some way. I think that's a really, it's an interesting point because from my perspective and from the perspective of all the migrants that we see who come to our service, none of them have that perspective that the UK is a very welcoming and open place for migrants. You know, we have 
quite a clear reputation for not being welcoming for both asylum seekers and migrants. Many mm. of the people who will be crossing that the channel will be making that journey because they are simply desperate and vulnerable and there are no safe and legal routes of entry into the UK. So I, I don't think the visa fees in that circumstance uh, mm. makes a difference to people. And I think when we're talking about this surcharge, the reality is, is that we can't afford not to scrap it. Uh, you know, this pandemic has shown us that universal access to the NHS is basically essential for public health. You know, we're only as protected as the least protected amongst us. And if we have a system which says some people can access it and some people can't unless they can afford it, what you're doing is putting a two-tier system in place which doesn't protect public health. health. So oh. I think we need to get it scrapped for good. Right. But going back to this point of, uh, of of people coming on, I know this isn't really your field, but because you look after uh, immigrants in other ways. Um, and if they don't f come over here because uh, it is they can they perceive it to be a great place and they'll be looked after and everything else. Why are they coming in their droves? People come to the UK for a number of reasons. You know, you have lots of people who are coming here to join family. That's the case often with many asylum seekers and, and many vulnerable people. People come here to work. People come here to study. You know, there's numerous people reasons why people would come to the UK. And I think the problem is, is that the system treats them all as if they're the same and we're mm. not very generous to those people and we're not even very generous to the people who are coming here to keep our services going, like the NHS. So mm. I think we really need to rethink the way that we treat migrants and look at migrants. And actually, poll after poll in the last few weeks has shown that the public is really in favour of new rights for migrant workers in particular and especially key workers and essential workers. And I think, you know, our current narrative or the way we've previously thought about migration is now completely out of touch with the public and that's mm. why the government is having to backtrack on all of these things. Uh, Minnie Rahman, who's Campaigns Manager at the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on Talk Radio. Talking of Nigel Farage, uh, Nigel's made a little video accusing uh, France of escorting yes. migrant dinghies to British waters. You can see it, it's online. Uh, he's accused them uh, of, uh, or he's almost accused them of being in cohort with the British. And uh, well, I heard a bit today on Mark Graham, and he said that they were they're meeting halfway mm, the British right. ships yeah. and taking them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk to uh, our good friend Harjit Bangle, who is the immigration lawyer par excellence. Um, <laughs> Harjit, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm locked down just like everyone else. Oh, come on, oh. cheer up, mate. You've got a huge family. Well, it depends where he's locked down. Where are you locked down? <laughs> West London. Uh, <laughs> ah. Near the airport, funny enough. Oh, yeah. Well, With all your family. At least it's quiet. Not many planes going around. Yeah, it's true. I've got, oh. got you know, six of us in the family, so we're okay. That's a lot of planes going back, yeah, and still coming over. People not being screened at the airport. Oh, really? So it's great mm. to see that. Every, every half an hour you see a plane go by and you think, there's another 300 people who are going to get off and probably go home or might yeah. even use a tube. Or Although there was not yeah, one case right. in London yesterday, apparently, of coronavirus. Well, no, because it is fizzling out because of to be, what we're it? doing. Yeah, it does seem to be. But I think if we're... I'm, I am slightly concerned about the mental health of everyone. Listen to Hardship. He's normally on the much, yeah. much more. Well, he's been stuck with his family for six weeks. Oh, well, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, uh, give me your thoughts on this, uh, the, the, this report from Nigel, who uh, has made a video. It's a nice little video, isn't it, if you like seeing people bobbing around on the sea. 
it's a very, very sad thing, these people in these boats. They're paying up to £5,000 per person to come on them. And the French don't want them, and we don't want them. Yeah, and they just seem to be being moved from pillar to post and responsibility being shirked. And in the midst of all that, the, the people traffickers are making money. Remember, we always say this, and people are always surprised to hear it, that there's more money made in people trafficking than there is in drug trafficking. Mm. Yet we never hear of people smugglers being convicted or being sought after, you know, the same way as we go after drug traffickers. It's not taken so seriously, is it? That's why. It's not taken seriously yeah. at all. Yeah. And no. I think I think I think what we're really looking at is look. We know the routes they come in. They always come in through the same ports. It's always the Dover or the Kent area. We know how they come in. They always come in via boats. Yeah. Are you telling me over the past thirty years we haven't been able to stop them and find? who these people traffickers are. You know, these people don't find boats on the beach just lying around and say, oh, come on, let's jump in a dinghy and just row over. They carefully traffic. They pay for the service. Like well, why is it allowed to go on, then, if they could stop well, it? Well, how do you stop it? Yeah, well, you stop it by working together and finding these people who oh. traffic these people all the way from their home country. And these people... Remember, the drop-off point is usually Moscow. Mm. So these people are trafficked from Moscow. Yeah, I didn't I'll know tell that. You, I'll tell you the routes. They usually fly into Moscow, mm -hmm. and then from there they get trafficked over the border of the Slovak Republic, and from there it's all by lorries and foot. And they're ganged. They're trafficked in by groups of twenty, thirty, usually in lorries. Now, are you trying to tell me that someone can get from Moscow to France mm -hmm. in the back of a lorry in a group of twenty without being checked en route? Without well, obviously they can. Yeah. I mean, I had visions that these poor people, because you've seen these these videos of them traping oh, through yeah. fields in the middle of um, France and Italy and coming up through the, the, the backbone of Europe. I thought they all had to do that. I thought they got dropped off somewhere in uh, in Greece and, uh, and then struggled by foot most of the well, way. No, there's various routes, and what happens is, is um, the gang masters or the traffickers, they just start changing the routes. But ultimately, the destinations are the same. And because we're an island, we know where the, the routes are. The routes are always in the port areas, in the traditional areas. Uh, Hardship, thank you very much indeed, my friend. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. Hardship, Bangle, immigration lawyer. The James Whale Show. Come praise the whale on talk radio. He's got a new single out. Let's talk very, very tattooed Mr Keith Duffy. Keith, good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. You are the one with all the tattoos, aren't you? Well, no. Usually, people think um, the one with the tattoos is Shane because it is. Uh, <laughs> but in recent times, in in, re in recent times, I I have added to my own collection as people are starting now to confuse the two of us. Now, let's talk a little bit about the new project, Keith, because uh, this new single you've got called "No Matter What" with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, that's pretty special, isn't it? You know what? Honest to God, I mean, um, I mean, joking aside, you know, back in the early days of Boyzone, Ronan Keating, the sound of Boyzone was recognisable on the radio by the sound mm. of Ronan Keating's voice or the sound of Stephen Gately's voice. That, that was the sound of Boyzone. Yeah. And, you know, Louis Walsh had the kind of attitude, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So even the more successful we got, and even though the fact that everything we released went, went to number one, uh, none of us got a chance to actually get up there and, and, and do a lead vocal. And mm. I loved to sing. And I, to be honest, I lost my confidence then. You know, when, when we came out in 2000, you know, lead singing wasn't a thing that I was interested in doing at all. 
And then I started doing a bit of play. I, I did a play in the West End for six months, and I did a play, a touring play all across Ireland, uh, on and off for for two and a half years. Um, and I did a lot of straight theatre, and I really enjoyed it. But I had to sing in parts, and um, I really missed not not singing. So, yeah, a long story painful. Uh, Brian McFadden, who who was very very talented and a great singer, he literally sat down with me for eight months, for four or five days a week. And we did vocal coaching. We learned all the Westlife songs. We learned all the boys' own songs. And it was easier to learn the Westlife songs, if I'm honest, because <laughs> I've been so used to doing boys' own backing vocals, I had to unlearn the boys' own Unlearn the harmonies. Learn them again. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so, I, I mean, your, your muscle memory was making me do the yeah. backing vocals instead of the lead vocals. Oh, and Brian right. was going, what are you doing? I needed <laughs> to sing the lead vocal here, you know. But, like, we've, we've toured for the last three and a half years, and we just decided it was time. To, to possibly record an album. But we said, before mm. we do a studio album, before we do an original studio album, we want to pay homage and respect to the, to the respective careers that we had in the respective bands that we were in. So we picked five of our favourite boys' own songs. We picked five of our favourite Westlife songs. We wanted to do something with a bit of a twist. We didn't want to just re-record them because they were all number one. So we needed to make sure that we were putting our own stamp on them and, and that we were bringing them to life again and not just recording them for the sake of it. So we came up with the concept of working with the Royal Philharmonic, an 84-piece orchestra. <laughs> and um, honest to God, we are blown away by the actual new sound of the new, uh, of oh, these yeah. old songs. Where did like, you record no it? Where did you record that? We recorded. We were supposed to record it in Abbey Road, and we were very excited about that. But unfortunately, at the last minute, we got to change it over to Angel Studios in, uh, in, in North London, which, which was lovely as well, to be honest. It doesn't have the history, yeah. It doesn't have the history, you know, mm. and, and just to say that, you know, you recorded your... My, it's my it's my first album away from Boyzone. So, like, it's a special album for me. I mean, Brian has recorded a couple, quite a few solo albums, um, but, but for me, it was my first album away from Boyzone. So it would have been nice to be able to say that we recorded it in Abbey Road. But then again, my, my dad always said, Never let the truth ruin a good story. Yeah, you shouldn't have told us that. You should have said, yeah, Abbey, Abbey Road. And, yeah. yeah, and it was ah, an amazing ah, experience. Ah, and ah, I walked across what? the Zebra Crossing on the way in every morning and I took a selfie. It was brilliant. <laughs> mm. <laughs> let me ask you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play, uh, to finish our chat, I'm going to play the song in a moment. Um, just briefly, what makes Louis Walsh such a great manager? Well, I don't know. I don't know who told you he was a great man. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have asked you, but a number of people I've spoken to, including Louis, um, uh, say that he was well, pretty listen, clever. Listen, and... Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Louis is the best manager in the world, and if you don't believe me, just ask him yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, good no, talking listen, to you. You know what Louis was great at? Louis was a great A and R man. Louis yeah. was very hungry. He wanted to be successful. He had managed bands in the in the uh, Eurovision Song Contest and won many times. He, he, I think Louis won the Eurovision Song Contest like something like five times, yeah. which is quite remarkable. I think that might be a record. Um, and he wanted he wanted to kind of get something bigger, something that was going to work outside of Ireland and not just within Ireland. Now, having said that, Johnny Logan, who won the Eurovision twice with Louis, has has a massive career to this day in Germany and and around different parts of Scandinavia and Europe. Um, but uh, Boyzone, like Boyzone was put together. We were Louis' first kind of internationally signed act, and at the time, Louis was pretty much just put, uh, booking uh, pub and club acts. At the time, he had no big signed artists per se. He was only literally booking uh, bands in clubs and pubs. So it was a big, big, huge, huge uh, leap for Louis as well. And what he was great at, he was great at manipulating the press. 
He was great at making <laughs> you look really famous before you'd even released a song. He, he was great at picking old songs and making them into cover versions. And, and you These know, are all important really, like, skills, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, these are, these are yeah. what make a yeah. great manager, that's yeah. for sure. Listen, I've got to yeah. go for the news, Keith. It's been a pleasure chatting to you again. Uh, Keith, thank you very much indeed. Nice to talk to you. There's no one else here, so I'm just in a glass box anyway, so... Yeah. Did you hear that little plop? Yeah, I mean, you could have gone before you came on the show, <laughs> man. What were we talking about last night? Uh, the coronavirus, the aliens, the, that planet. Take him out of the studio. The Just weather, how, how hot the weather was. Shut up, you, what you had What you had for dinner. Have you had it, Ash? You've had it, haven't you, Ash? You've I don't know, right. man. I need... How many people have you met? How many? I don't know, I don't know, man. I need to find out. I don't out. You're making me panic now. But I'd like to be able to go down to the pub and say hi to my mates. Well, if we, all drink, if we all drink yards of ale, like if I was with you and we both had a yard of ale, we would be the requisite distance yeah. apart, wouldn't so we? They're about £100, he, pounds, aren't they? He doesn't they? learn. £80 pounds for Superdrug. So he's talking rubbish, carrying on talking it now. And he just goes on in I his little know, world. I used to know the guy. His dad started Superdrug. You had an interesting life, though. Didn't you have an interesting life before you became a musician? You know, that sounds like a weighted question to me. You've obviously read something. Yeah, what are you trying to say, James? Go on, say it straight. What are you saying? Come on, James. Fuck her up. No, no, we can't. No, stop it. That was uh, the clips for today. The worst of Whale. Sorry, sorry. The best of James Whale. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed them. Well, I suppose if you didn't enjoy them, you won't be listening, will you? Anyway, I'll be back 7 o'clock until 10, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio. Have a great day. Thank you for listening.